Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I didn't look like a top scientist because I was young and I was female. It was all this autopilot and analyzing the effect of this drags us down without us understanding why that's what women need. While we are trying to attain some kind of perfection, we will always fail. We can change that to strive for excellence, which is much more positive. I need to look at that trauma, change that conditioning, get to the destination I want to go. It's just looking at things and saying, this is the problem that we have. I need to address that. Then I will be free to shine as me. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. My guest today is a leading expert in female power, a success healer and best-selling author of the book, Pull Back Your Power. With a PhD in metal matrix composites, and like many of you listening, I actually had no idea what that was, but we'll share more soon. From the world-renowned Cambridge University, she is a scientist turned life alchemist who came up against, in quotes, the boys club world of engineering, which caused her to spiral into a spectacular burnout 25 years ago. A pattern sadly true and experienced by many high-flying women. Today's guest is Dr. Anne Whitehouse. She is a woman who decided to take back her own power after years of being drowned out by the unfair biases held about women. She has spent two hardworking decades unraveling the hidden power dynamic that still undermines women in the world and has developed a unique solution that integrates subconscious reprogramming and subtle energy flow, which she has termed as the repower. Her groundbreaking techniques help one change their power relationship with the world and feel genuinely safe in situations that one may have dreaded in the past. Visibility, fears and imposter syndrome disappear and it becomes safe to be seen as a powerful woman. Dr. Whitehouse has helped hundreds of women worldwide step into more success and impact than they ever believed possible. Having worked with many women in the form of teachers, colleagues and mothers in my own career, I was keen to chat more with Dr. Whitehouse about her research so that we could take advantage of her findings and ensure that we do our best as role models for the girls that we are raising and to ensure that they are growing up with the strong beliefs of their own unique power. So with that, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Elevate podcast, Dr. Anne Whitehouse. Thank you so much for being here today. It's my absolute pleasure. It's a delight to be here. I've got so much I'd love to talk to you about, and particularly <laughs> um, things in your previous career, your current career, um, and we'll come on to all of that. But I always like to start my interviews to understand a little bit more about you as a little girl, as a student, and what it was like in your upbringing, and if you could kindly share some insight into what young Anne was like. Okay, so I was... The little girl who was very shy, very quiet, in the background, 
and yet I would be getting the top marks. And the for my, my family, I mean, I've got a, a younger brother. My my family was very very equal opportunities. There was never ever a case of, you know, you can't do that and because you're a girl. It was always absolutely, of course you can, of course you can. Nothing but um, support for for me in that way. Um, the first time that I met any kind of sexism was when I was 10 years old. I'd gone up to the local comprehensive a year early. So I was, I was only 10, but I was with, you know, I was at high school. And it was a physics lesson and a physics teacher, he said to me, he said, Anne, you can't expect to beat the boys at physics. And I was flummoxed. I had never, and, and what, what, what? So I actually went home that night and I, I went to my mum. I said, oh, why can't I beat the boys? And she was furious and you know, rightly so. Uh, but, but that was the first time that that assumption of, you know, you can't be a scientist. And I, as it happens, I beat all the boys and I come top of the year. <laughs> I'm kind of leaping ahead onto what I really want to, to communicate with your audience. But it's the, but we've got, we've got two things going on. When these things happen to us, yes, they motivate us to prove ourselves even more. But the thing that people don't often understand is there is a cost because underneath the messaging is going in that you aren't good enough, that something's wrong with you, you're not ticking the right boxes. And we can talk about that a bit more later on because that is so important to understand. And as a teenager, uh, yeah, more of the same. <laughs> Reserved, shy, quiet, top marks. Uh, I was at a, a girls' school from 11 to 18. And again, it was totally, you know, uh, do maths, do physics, do chemistry, do engineering, get out there, beat the men, fantastic. But that was all intrinsically motivated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. My father uh, was, was an engineer, a top engineer, and it just came very naturally to me. I, I, I was good at a lot of things, but I was particularly good at, at science and maths. It just came very naturally to me. And, and then it, it, it became the school. It was, they really say, OK, is it going to be science or engineering? Is it going to be Oxford or Cambridge? That was really that was the track I was on. And I wanted it. I wanted to, to prove that I you know, was as good as any, any boy out there, all was going well. So I, I got to Cambridge, uh, I went to Jesus College to read natural sciences. Cambridge was a, a great experience. Yeah, there, was, there were challenges because obviously I was very much a minority, you know, being, being a woman, but it wasn't until I stepped out of that into my you know into the the world of the, the wider world of, of science but it really hit me how women are undermined and the fact that the, the, the really huge detrimental effect it had on me personally with my health and how that led to to what I'm doing now you know that was a shock and one of the reasons I wanted to pause at Cambridge is because I know that then sets the stage for so much that comes into your life afterwards and I really want to give that conversation proper emphasis and time because that your whole book is based on so many things that you learned through your time at university so I wanted to take that a little bit go one step back and just explain to any of my listeners because I've introduced you as someone who studied metal matrix composites and I <laughs> and 
I just love that because A, I had no clue what that meant. Nobody does. <laughs> so I wondered if you could just, just amuse us all and tell us what it is that you were studying and how incredible it was for you to get into such a wonderful esteemed university based on this course that nobody else knows what it is. It was almost like you worked for the Secret Services, but tell, tell us what it is. <laughs> so I did natural sciences, physical natural sciences, where you get to try various disciplines and it's through that I discovered material science and metallurgy so physical you know, properties and how you make things to get the particular properties you want so when I, I graduated I went straight on to my PhD which was on metal matrix composites so what that is if you imagine a metal that's quite soft and you'd like to get it harder but without it being brittle so it fractures you can reinforce it with lots of little bits of uh, imagine imagine mixing sand with metal that's basically a metal matrix composite. So I had lots of electron microscopy and fracture mechanics and all of that stuff. So fantastic. No, I love it. And I, I as being a teacher and, and having a science background in biology, not in chemistry or physics, but science is we're always not filled with classrooms of girls. So I and I still feel that way. A lot of girls don't sign up for higher set sciences. And I think having role models like you for people to be encouraged about the breadth and depth. And a lot of people would say, well, I don't want to do science because I don't want to be an engineer and I don't want to be a doctor. And I would think, well, there are millions of other careers out there that have to do with science. So I love the fact that I've discovered one, a new one for myself as well. That's really <laughs> cool. You were a natural learner. You're a curious learner. That was something you were always motivated to do, except you didn't ever feel celebrated or proud of what you were achieving and in fact you were made to feel almost less than and you can correct me if I'm wrong and you can probably hear the fury building in my voice as I read this part of your <laughs> of your journey but a lot of this had nothing to do with your credentials or your ability to perform or even outperform your male counterparts it was all because the males made you feel slightly inferior and I wanted you to expand on that for us it's really important to be able to understand what, what happened. So everything in my book is really from after Cambridge. So I got a lectureship in um, an engineering department and I was there, I was 27 years old. Uh, well, I think there were four female academics out of about four, uh, 30 or so in that department. And so here's the thing. I, I went in there, top credentials. I could do the job absolutely fine. There was nothing you know, wrong in that way, that there should have been no reason why I couldn't absolutely thrive there. Now, it wasn't so much that there were specific um, attitudes or particular people who were particularly nasty or condescending. It wasn't anything as, as in your face as that. It was far more subtle. And it's a, lot of, a lot of it is how do you feel in a situation? So the environment was completely male default. So everything was done in the male way, the male assumptions, the male, this is the way it's done sort of thing. So as a woman, and I was very, very feminine, I, I wasn't aggressive and extrovert and pushy, it was never me, I was much, much softer. And, and um, what I found was that I, I was having to try and squeeze myself into some kind of mold that simply wasn't me. And so what that does is, all the messages that you're getting, subtle messages, are in order to succeed here, you need to tick boxes A, B, C, and D, which is, you know, the male way this, the male way that, the male way the other, <laughs> essentially. 
And of course, I could never tick those boxes. So although my, the quality of my work was excellent, underneath my subconscious was saying, you don't fit in here, Anne. You don't fit in. There's something wrong with you. You're never going to be good enough because you don't tick the boxes that are being put forward. And that, and that isn't, it isn't big, a big deal on day one, but after you've had it for years, it's like a, it's like, I call it like the, the water torture, so drip, 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 drip. And, you know, little things I bring out in my book, like, um, you know, if, if I would answer my phone and somebody would say, can I speak to Dr. Whitehouse? And I'd say, yes, speaking. And they'd, oh, you know, they'd assumed I was the secretary or the receptionist because I was a woman. And the times you get asked to take the minutes or make the tea, it, it did actually happen. And the one, um, the, the one, the big thing that I talk about in my book is my most humiliating experience. So I was giving an invited presentation at a well-known but unnamed uh, aerospace company. And they started talking over me and they completely ignored me for over an hour. And I was the invited expert. And this is the thing that I really want to pull out here. I don't believe that any of those men sat there and thought she is inferior because she's a woman. We're going to humiliate her. They didn't think that at all. They were on autopilot and in their subconscious, they, I didn't look like a top scientist because I was young and I was female. So their subconscious didn't notice me. And when they started talking over me, it seemed fine because women are in the background. It was all this autopilot and, and analyzing the effect of this, literally like, like a computer operating system churning away under the surface and how that drags us down without us understanding why that is the key to my work. That's what women need. So it's, it's understanding what, what is likely to happen. How are you likely to respond when you get into these environments out in the world? Firstly, spot what's happening and don't blame yourself because there's nothing wrong with you. And then how can you react in a different way so that you aren't, get, you, that you aren't being undermined by it? Yeah, and so much of the cultural conversation seems to have suggested that we are making changes in this world. Obviously, there are things that are happening. And, you know, Kamala Harris is the first female colored person in the White House. And I know we're seeing things are moving for females. But it's interesting what you say, because the, the equation that you first bring out into the book to talk about what we're about to use, you use a, a very scientific style of explaining exactly this idea around what's been happening to our, us over the years of the environment that we find ourselves in. And you talk about normal life plus factor X equals high stress plus feeling not good enough. And the, the idea of this book is to try and work out how we solve for this factor X. And you talk about what it, the, the kind of accumulated effect of all the different meetings and sort of a microaggressions of things that happened over your career as a student and then as a lecturer that allowed you to get to something that actually your your whole body just had to collapse it was just too much to take right so lead us talk us through that whole idea around your wake-up call and, and and then deciding that I've had enough I can't take this anymore I started off fairly confident and as I progressed in, in that in that lectureship what I found was that instead of getting more comfortable in my in my role my confidence went down, my anxiety went up, it spiraled into what I call a spectacular burnout. And over six years, I went from high-flying academic to burnt out invalid with chronic fatigue syndrome. And I, I'd lost my scientific career. And that led me onto 
um, my, my concept of, of the power foundation, the fact that women do not have a power foundation. I, I should say here that in the course of one sentence, I've skipped over like 20 years, <laughs> 20 years of work <laughs> to, to get all this in place, right? So the power foundation. So, so this is the thing. When we go into that situation, I'm like, yeah, you'll take my example because it, it's a perfect example. So there I was in uh, this male-dominated uh, situation. On the surface, everything was fine. Equal opportunities. I had all the experience, all the, all the qualifications I could possibly need, all the abilities. I should have been on an equal, subconsciously on an equal, feeling I was entitled and safe to be there. But what does the subconscious think? So it's going to look at, am I safe here? Am I entitled here? It's going to look around you. Oh, man, 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 man. Do I feel safe? Your subconscious is going to say, my goodness, I'm vulnerable. I might get attacked. I couldn't defend myself against 10 men. This is a very evolutionary thing. We are physically at a disadvantage, especially in a minority. That's going to be there. Our subconscious, I'm not safe. Imagine you're a little girl and you're being yelled at by your father or by the headmaster or something like that. You go, you're, you're going to go into a fear state. All these are deeply programmed. All of the, the patriarchal programming, this is what I, I discovered in, in all my years and years of analyzing the, what was going on in the subconscious. They, that is literally still rooted in the past. So all those obsolete beliefs of a woman's place in the home and women aren't allowed to outshine men and women should be in the background, women should be supporting the men and women aren't allowed to have career, you know, and anything that's beyond sort of, you know, nurse, cleaner, cook, we're not allowed to do that. And all of that was programmed into my subconscious and every single woman I've tested has had that. So instead of being on an equal level, subconsciously, it's like this, subconsciously, we are at a much lower level in terms of how safe we feel, how entitled we feel. And it's got nothing to do with the three-dimensional facts. It's got to do with all this subtle stuff. So that is the fact that when we go into any kind of career like that, we don't have the subconscious safety to know I'm absolutely entitled to be here because we do not have hundreds of years supporting our right to be there. Plus, we are at a physical disadvantage and all that accumulates so that has us playing catch up from the very, very start. And as soon as somebody um, puts you down or makes a sexist joke or interrupts you, your subconscious will go, oh, my goodness, I'm not safe here. And it will go down further. And so this is the spiral that we can get into. And the thing that is so important to understand is that this happens with I mean, I've worked with women who are politicians, they're top lawyers, they're you know, top in finance, they're in all kinds of industries, entrepreneurs. These are not shy, retiring women. These are women who are pushing themselves to absolutely achieve, but they're being undermined because of this huge mismatch between what we are being and doing and striving to achieve in our lives and what all of this subconscious messaging is giving us. And that is what I call female history syndrome something that I wanted to touch base on because it's definitely something that I deal with a lot with the girls that I work with which is perfectionism and it's something that I think so many females struggle with and in your work you talk about why girls or females will never actually achieve this idea of perfectionism slightly differently to how probably I've been talking about it because in my mind there is just no idea of there is no perfectionism we're all imperfectly perfect and that is how I would teach my girls to 
enjoy themselves and, and, and be confident in the, in the skin that they're in. However, I really love this twist that you introduced me to through your work, which you'd say that the reason girls can't read perfectionism is because perfectionism is, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, male. Tell me more about this. I have a whole chapter called Perfection is Male, don't I? <laughs> this is all about the male default. Uh, and this is about the, the root of what pushes us to try to be perfect, in inverted commas, whatever that means. So firstly, you are spot on. Nobody is ever going to be perfect at anything. We, we know that. But while we are trying to attain some kind of perfection, we will always fail. And of course, we can change that to, okay, forget that. We could strive for excellence, which is much, much more positive. So that, that, is, that is how you um, could you know, help somebody on, on kind of on, on quite a surface level. But let's go deeper. Let's see why on earth would a woman, and we are so prone to this, be driven to try and push herself to be perfect. So to give you sort of um, uh, <clears throat> a good example of this, you know, I literally, if I were to get you know, 90 something in an exam, I wouldn't be able to see goodness, I got 94%, it would be, oh my God, I failed because I didn't get 100%, right? And it's that, and it's like, it's, it, it can be that extreme. And it's the same thing in my, in my career. And no matter what I did, you know, I brought in research grants and I published papers and everything looked so great. I felt, felt not good enough. I felt it wasn't good enough. And I had to push myself more and more and more. And it's that pushing, being driven to push yourself to literally to self-destruction, that's what we do. That's what leads to so much burnout in you know, driven, high achieving, ambitious women. And this is the thing that's so important. We feel that we're not good enough. So we have to push ourselves harder to try and be good enough. But what we don't realize is that we are, um, we're, we're being given the wrong information. So your subconscious is actually saying, in order to be accepted, in order to be good enough in this environment, you're meant to be male. Though everybody's running those programs, trust me, they are there. So every time I would do something, I would have, I would have done it in my way, <laughs> Anne way, female way. And so my subconscious would just be looking at the situation and say, well, look, Anne, you're still, you still haven't ticked the right boxes. You, you're not good enough. You, you're not being what you have to be. And I thought, that meant my work isn't good enough quality, but my subconscious wasn't looking at my work. It was looking at who I am. And it was saying, Anne, you're still not male. You're still not ticking the mailbox. You're still not doing it. You're still you know, in this job that you're not really meant to be in because you aren't fulfilling the male default. So it would just give me the message. You aren't good enough. You aren't good enough. You aren't good enough. And so you see, you see that the confusion here, no matter how, how much we push ourselves and but more and more hours and hours and hours in, we are never gonna tick the box if the box says, in order to be good enough here, you've got to be male. We will always fail. So you know, people have said to me, okay, and why are you talking about male and female power, male and female, all of this? Because as you say, gender fluidity, all the rest of it, but that, that gender fluidity, that ideal society, this is an aspiration. What I'm talking about is what affects you when you go into your workplace when you go online and try and promote your business when you are interviewed 
in the media to promote something you've done. What, what is affecting you? And what is affecting you is history. It is the status quo. It is millennia of programming. And the millennia of programming has male or female, man or woman, this role or that role. There is no, any kind of gender fluidity is simply not in that energetics at all. We are creating something new there. That will come in just like, this power foundation will, will uh, get less and less problematic as the generations go by. But at this point in history, we are at this a real cusp because it's the first time ever that women have had genuine freedom and opportunity in education to actually do what they want to do and to actually allow their abilities to go in any direction they want. We've had that on the surface, but underneath, we don't have any of that ideal stuff. We don't have anything supporting us energetically. What we have is the past, and the past is patriarchy, male or female, man or woman. So that is why when we go into those situations, the message we get is, if you're a woman, you're not good enough. QED, that's all there is. And of course, we are not all one energy. We are all a balance of the two things. But the point is, when you go into that meeting and you get undermined and interrupted, Nobody is going to say, oh, is she running 60% male power or 70% female power? No, they will look at you and they'll say, woman, that's it. Knee-jerk reaction in the subconscious and reaction you will get is because you are, you appear as a woman. That is all there is to it. One of the key factors, which is exactly what I wanted to address, is that we can't do this just by educating women I feel at least that we need men and boys to work with us as allies as well so as, we <laughs> as much as as much as it is great to bring the awareness into females and, and, and women that are trying and striving for these new careers and, and new ambitions for themselves we need to in order to change the status quo we need to somehow open the eyes for the male counterparts as well so I wondered if you had any suggestions on how teachers like myself or coaches or mentors or how can we make boys see that what will we want them to see as well good question well firstly that is the subject of my second book which I'm currently writing oh how exciting <laughs> I didn't know well this is the exciting whole point, you're absolutely you're, you're spot on there's so much about female empowerment but the operating system affects everyone as I keep as I've said it's, it's this knee jerk it's automatic we're all running this automatic programming and you can't change one side of the coin without the other. We need to all be moving forwards. And this old operating system, it doesn't serve men either. And although yeah, I know men have a lot of issues with you know, mental health, depression, male suicide is a big, big problem. It's the same mismatch between where we are trying to go and what all this old messaging is giving us. So to answer your question, the first thing is, is um, the having the awareness that the, so if you've got, say you've got boys and girls, and you know, in, in a class or in a discussion or something, if you actually analyze how much time, attention verbally is taken up by the boys, it, it's a huge proportion compared to the girls. So it, uh, having things in place to make sure that girls have 50% of the time and, and, uh, and picking up on things, for example, you know, if, if uh, a boy is very assertive or a natural leader, but if a girl might say the same thing, oh, she's bossy, pushy, strident, because we are meant to be, you know, quieter, more demure. So it's spotting that stuff so, so ingrained and making sure that, the, the, you know, that the words on that, that double standard isn't 
applied and it, it can be so very automatic. Yes. Can I share something that I, it's exactly what you say about the, the language. So I happened to see this on a post um, on Instagram, which really resonated because I think it's exactly as you say, in terms of labeling or the language around female and male. So you never really commonly hear phrases such as, oh, he's a working dad, or she's a hands-on mum, mummy daycare, or boy boss. Um, what you, you get fun dad and lazy mum. And I wondered how we can shift this because it is definitely girl boss is still a poster seen in, on t-shirts and slogans that are everywhere, but we don't see boy boss, you know, because they've always been the boss. These are our, you know, our efforts to flag up disparity. And, you know, it's, it's got so much, so much further than it needs to go. And, and, and what we need to do is, is, is deeper stuff. So what I teach is actually how we can change the dynamics of those situations. So, for example, if you've got um, if you've got a girl who is not being able to speak up, um, I, I teach them how to literally pull back their power, which is the title of my book. I teach them to pull back the power in the situation and shift themselves out of that fight or flight. And the, the beautiful thing about this is that when you do that, you give out a different energy and people around you begin to treat you differently, even the men, right? <laughs> because you're, you are counteracting this automatic energy flow of, you know, away from the women. So it's a, it's, um, it isn't, isn't something that can be done you know, all in one go. You need to be actively bringing your power back all the time so that your energy signature, if you like, shifts and you start to give out a different message. When your subconscious then feels safer, you'll be more confident, your, your anxiety will go down, confidence will go up, you'll find yourself naturally speaking up instead of holding back. And that, that's the, the, the beauty of, of what I've discovered is that you can actually change that. And I was, as I said, very shy, very quiet, very reserved. I'm sure you can think of that, that talking to me now. <laughs> when, I, when I really wasn't safe, wasn't treated with respect, my boundaries weren't respected, I wasn't treated as, a, as an equal. And then if you start putting her down, you may think it's a tiny thing, but it's going to be completely magnified. So if you see that women are, are, are shut down with you, if you're, I've, I've um, spoken to a number of men who they're in positions of authority and they say, I want to encourage the women in my organization to be more assertive and to be more confident, but I don't know how to do it. And what I say is right, actually you energetically, you give them the power. So if, if a woman is wanting to speak, you literally imagine giving her the ball, the energetic ball, and the energy will change and she will be able to speak. And then and if um, you see other men interrupting, you say, oh, excuse me, Jane was speaking, do you mind letting her finish? You know, whatever it might be. And, and, and just having that awareness of that, that the flow is going against the women. It's like us swimming upstream all the time. And when you see it in those terms, there are many things that you, know, that you can do just in the moment to just shift that dynamic, to just support the women that are there. So a lot of it goes down to the psychological safety of the people in the room, right? So you're, you're right, if the male is the, in the position of authority, 
the responsibility does fall on them to make sure that the females there are valued and feel safe in their work environment. I get that. So that's that's important. But I think a lot of men, as you say, aren't consciously trying to be ridiculing or dismissive or sexist. It's just happening. And that's definitely one part of educating our young boys. I think you're absolutely right. So getting into the school systems and, and making sure that the teachers and parents at home are not having double standards and the language around a working mom versus a working dad, all of that, I think, is part of our cultural nuances that we need to shift. I do think the rhetoric has to move on from all of that. So that's one thing. And then there, I wanted to, st- to go from there where you say our male counterparts need to be on our side. That's one part of the equation. But then we also hear and read a lot about this idea around betraying the female cause, not sticking into the sisterhood. So I wanted to flip that and play devil's advocate a little bit because I wondered your thoughts on this and the profound impact that the drip feed effect has on undermining another person. So I've certainly found that when I was floundering, when I was spiraling down into this burnout, when I was in, I really needed help, I needed support, there was nobody there, there was, there was no real internet in those days, you know, there was no, no social media. So, you know, I, I was really, you know, alone with this. And there were other women, and, and anybody will, will see this kind of woman in their workplace, there are women who are quite aggressive, quite confrontational, they've taken on quite a masculine energy, they can be quite domineering, and they can be really nasty to uh, more reserved, more feminine women. And so what they've done is, we've got this subconscious programming which says you can't succeed and be a feminine woman here, it's forbidden. So their subconscious has said, instead of kind of shutting down like-minded, it goes the other way, so right, I'm going to take on all the male energies, I'm literally going to change camps. And any woman who can't do what I've done is weak, is a victim, is pathetic. You know, call yourself an empowered woman. You shouldn't be feeling anxiety. How dare you show that we are weaker than men by not being able to succeed in their environment. And it happens a lot in all kinds of ways. But this is the thing. While we are pushing to try and do that, either we can take on in quite a nasty energy in, in a lot of cases, and then we, we all know women who have done that and it's not pleasant, or it has this huge personal cost. And whether it is in health or your relationship or, you know, or just stress or ultimately a burnout, it's not ideal because we are not free to simply be ourselves without changing who we are and be accepted and our version of doing something can be beautifully enmeshed with the male version and get something which is much better than either in isolation. That's what we are striving towards. That's what you know, we don't yet have. But so it's like, you can't solve the problem by pretending it's not there. And maybe I've got to deal with the fact that I've got huge patriarchal conditioning from my childhood. And maybe I've got to deal with the fact that you know, then I've got um, men who are completely dismissing me and thinking that I should be the secretary when I'm actually the expert. And all of this is making me feel really unsafe because you know what? Men are bigger and stronger than women in general, and it does make our subconscious feel in danger. And when we go into that meeting, if we've got a right to be there, doesn't matter if I don't feel safe 
intrinsically safe, I cannot perform at my best. So I can't turn up there thinking, yeah, it's all fine. I'm an empowered woman. All is good. I'm just going to ignore that huge baggage. I can't because my body and my subconscious are reacting to it and are being undermined by it every single day. I've got to look at it. I've got to say, right, these are the actual problems. I need to reprogram this. I need to look at that trauma, change that conditioning, pull in my power and change the energy signature to get the right ticket to get to the destination I want to go. So it's not betraying the sisterhood. It's just looking at things as they are and saying, right, this is the problem that we have. I need to address that and shift these particular problems. And then I will be free to shine as me. And I guess that goes right back to identifying who you are and what kind of person you are. And this isn't about changing who you are. It's about actually embracing the person we are. And one of the things that you do very cleverly in your book is you've got a thread running through the whole of the book, which is fairy tale, adventure, sci-fi, like with the character, the beast and, and a male and a, and a female counterpart who are all striving to get to one place, which I think is where we are talking about in terms of your your general messaging but you put the five you you have five female archetypes that you ask females to look at themselves with and then work out their fundamental characteristics from those archetypes they're all based on fairy tale stories aren't they yeah if we could just talk about those five female archetypes in, in the traditional fairy tale we have the the woman who is in some way put um held back by the patriarchal world. And in the, in the traditional fairy tale, she gets rescued by the prince, right? <laughs> Lives happily ever after. Obviously, we are not gonna do that. But the, the reason they've got the fairy tales is it's how, how us living in our version of the status quo world, how that has undermined us and forced us to shut down parts of who we are. So, we have the warrior, uh, the uh, Hippolyta, who, if you don't know who Hippolyta is, um, and uh, if you've seen Wonder Woman, <laughs> is the, the mother of Wonder Woman. Hippolyta is a genuine uh, ancient Greek character, who is, is the warrior who's taken on, I have to be male. Then you've got uh, Shahrazad. You meet many Shahrazads. I'm, I'm a Shahrazad. And this is the woman who, you don't take on the, the, the male energy, but the programming tells you, I'm not safe, so I have to be invisible. I have to be silent, I have to be invisible, I have to be under the radar. And we are the ones who are totally prone to the burnout, perfectionism and burnout. So who else have we got? We've got, we've got Cinderella. So Cinderella is, is the woman who's um, experienced uh, trauma or abuse and has lost her power in, in, that, um, in that regard. And who else have we got? We've got the, the, um, the, the, the Snow White archetype. Uh, and this is the woman who's been valued for her body only. So, you know, how, how, how pretty she is or, you know, and, and this, that can very much, uh, if you're in um, a culture where it's been all about rearrange the marriage and it's your, your value in the marriage market kind of thing, and, or you know, anything where it's, you know, your, your brother was his achievements, but for you, it's you know, how pretty your dress was you know, or, and that, that kind of thing. So, so those are the, um, the basic. I think the the one that I think I put myself in, I could be wrong. I, I think I put myself into Rapunzel. Well, Rapunzel is the um, Rapunzel is the the patriarchal programs. 
So if you've if you've come from the the family where it's one standard for the boys, another one for the girls, and you know the boys have been given the education and you weren't, you had to stay at home, you had to leave school at sixteen, but your brother went to university, but you are in fact cleverer than him, or and, and all of that you know, expectation that you are going to be get married and be the housewife because that's the way it is in our culture, that's the way it is in our, in our society, all of that stuff, the, the, the beliefs that boys are better than girls, boys are cleverer than girls, girls can do neat work and French, but they certainly can't do mechanical engineering. That's, that, those programmes, very deep, are, are always going to be making you doubt yourself and, and, and cause a whole lot of family um, strife when you're breaking out of all of that. So those are how we're held back. And I have to, I have to mention the, the last archetype because it's so important. <laughs> the journey into our true power is freeing ourselves from these. So in my, in my fairy tale in the, in the book, my little character is called Grace. And she realizes that she can free herself from all of that conditioning and activate her own magical powers. So it's her magical powers. That means who would you be if you had not been subjected to all of that conditioning or the trauma or the feeling not safe? Who would you be if you had been absolutely free to just be yourself and flourish as you? And that is what I call the sorceress archetype. And in my fairy tale, at the end, my character Grace, she's not rescued by anybody. She discovers her magical powers and she blasts the beast herself and, uh, and astonishes everybody. So that this is our journey. It's, it's, it's understanding just how much we are still held back by patriarchy and then taking the appropriate deep action to genuinely free ourselves from that, not just suppress it and push on regardless. And that's when we become free to be ourselves, to be in our true power, whatever um, proportions of men and female that means for us, and to be out in the world doing whatever we want without being undermined, without having this me messaging we're getting undermine us, drag us down, make us feel not good enough. And that's when we can genuinely succeed you know, and have the well-being and the happiness and the fulfillment and everything that we deserve. Oh, that's a brilliant note to end on. Um, and thank you so much. I, the aim of the game is to make sure we're all sorceresses and that we all get to that place. And I think it's incredibly insightful talk that we've had today and I hope it will really get others thinking about thinking about way we're dealing with ourselves first of all as females how we're educating the male counterparts that we are working with living with and then also how do we prepare the next generation of children in our schools in our homes to ensure that we're all on an even like a playing field not just on a not just on the surface like you say deep-rooted fairness for everybody and I wanted to ask if anyone listening to this wanted more guidance on how to get their sorceress archetype ready and out into the world, how might they get in touch with you? Right, well, my website is feminineconfidence.com. A lovely uh, freebie, which is um, five easy steps to more confidence, which will get you started on, on changing this, this way of thinking. And you can find me on social media, on Dr. Anne Whitehouse on LinkedIn, Anne Whitehouse PhD on Facebook and uh, feminine underscore power underscore alchemist on Instagram and uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and I think you bring up such a valid point because bringing these conversations to light isn't easy for a lot of women. 
there's a lot of shame attached to some of their experiences. And I think normalizing that and allowing others to see that you're not alone is part of the journey as well. So um, I do hope that th this podcast interview will really help others feel supported and know that this is not just a cultural thing in your country or one, one woman in, in one place. This is a worldwide phenomenon. It's and universal. Yeah, it's universal. Yeah, and we're, lots of us are feeling it. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, experience, and your insight today, Dr. Whitehouse. I really appreciate you coming on to the Elevate podcast. It's my pleasure. Hi, it's been a while and I wanted to thank you for your patience. Since the last set of conversations we've released, I've published a book. I hope you already know about it, maybe even have it. I would love for you to share my new book, Girl Elevated, Five Steps to Empower Young Girls to Be Their Best with others, teachers, parents, coaches, your friends, anyone who works or is raising young girls. I hope this resource will be something that will be useful and helpful to many. If you have had it and you've enjoyed it, leave me a review on Amazon because that will help lots of other people find this resource as well. Thanks so much for all your support. And that's everything from us today. Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.